All right, welcome everybody to another fantastic week, right? I know we're having on lockdown week six, right? Or do I, I, I just no count the weeks? <laughs> <laughs> right, but hope you're having a beautiful week, um, despite the fact that we are all isolated and just, uh, you know, distant from all of our loved ones. Today is a brand new day. Today is a brand new day to learn, to explore, different paradigms had to innovate and create solutions uh, for the world to create a better world and in today's podcast hardship the now of leadership and us we have a fantastic guest Annalie and I are really excited to bring her on she is she was a professor and then turned into an entrepreneur we have Dr I let's bring her on Welcome, Dr. Ai. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really, really honored to be here. No, it's, it's when I saw you on Twitter, I was like, oh my God, she's doing such brilliant things. And that's one thing I love about Twitter is you have really good openness conversations as opposed to different platforms. And when I saw what you're doing, I was like, okay, this is whom I need to bring on to explore how education is changing because the future is not possible if the now is not taken into consideration so that's why it's such a honor to to have you thank you you're welcome so just to like get into it uh, i i i've been like looking at your work for the past few weeks ever since we got connected and you have been reinventing education for the 21st century and created classroom without walls i was about to say borders but <laughs> without walls can you talk a little bit about what pushed you from being a professor into an entrepreneur to find this company now really i love this question and it's really uh, how i got started on this journey was uh really because of my compassion for the students and a few years uh into my teaching career I pretty much every single semester, I caught myself like cry all the time. And uh, I, I, I cry with my students. And uh, they, they they came to my office hour and sharing with me, hey, Dr. I, I'm going to graduate. I don't know what to do. I'm so depressed. I'm so stressed. I'm not learning this. I can't find jobs, this and that. And uh, I remember so vividly, and uh, we were both in my office, in my office, and they cried. I cried. I'm like, I don't know what to do either. This is too late. You are graduating. And at the same time, I was seeing how students have become more and more disengaged in the journey of learning. And uh, they seem to care more and more about the GPA, the A's they're going to receive, the points they're going to get, to the point that I started to hear questions like almost every single time when I teach a class, Dr. I, will this be on the exam? Dr. I, will this be on the quiz? Dr. Mm -hmm. I, if I go to your event, listen, learning is for me. If I go to your event, this is why I bring in like TED speakers, like amazing seven, eight figure entrepreneurs to the classroom. And they're like, if I go to your event, are you going to give me a point? And like, if you hear that a lot, it's really hurtful, right? Many people, they become a, a teacher to see the spark in the student's eyes, to see that they... They come to your class, they actually enjoy the journey of learning. 
And I don't see that. That's why I cried. So at the same time, like seeing my own children from being all those cute little imaginative, creative, curious young children to my older son when he was about six and seven years old. He was like, I don't want to go to school, mommy. Daddy is so boring. It's not engaging. I was like, okay, wait a second. Like, this is what I'm seeing in my own undergraduate classes. And now I'm seeing the same thing happening at home uh, with my own children. What's going on? So I literally became obsessed to figure out this problem. I asked myself, what can I do as a mom, as a teacher? What can I do to make the education crisis better, right? So I, I made a few de uh, important decisions. Uh, number one is I became a practitioner again. That's really mm -hmm. how I got started with the classroom without walls. I started to everything I asked my students to do, I was doing the same thing myself. Shocking, right? But that's how many people teach their class. We mm -hmm. ask the students to do something, but as the teachers or as the parents, double standard, I don't do this myself. And uh, I got out of that state and I, I was teaching communication classes, public relations classes, and later social media classes. So everything I asked my students to do, I was doing the same thing myself. I was on Twitter, Twitter chat, uh, like later Snapchat, Meerkat, Blab, some of those apps you probably don't even know they're no longer here, and Instagram, LinkedIn, and even when I started my live streaming show, was really out of my compassion to serve my students better, to learn not only from Dr. I, who doesn't know much, but actually learn from everybody, students, practitioners, everybody, other teachers, and then that's how I got started. It really started with my compassion, uh, with my or desperation at the same time to build a better learning experience for the students. So as I continue to do that, something really uh, interesting and totally unexpected started to happen. Speaking engagement, I got featured on Forbes, Pearson Education, and so many different places. I started working with Adobe. Like they all came to me. I was like, wow, that was not the intention. The intention was serving the students. Right. And, but as I continue to serve my students, all those like really nice, amazing media invitation, uh, paid speaking gigs. And it was really nice to see that. But also the bigger message for me was to really realize what I was doing outside of the four walls was actually generating more impact. And almost every single day, I receive message from people from Jamaica and from Singapore, from UK, from Israel. I have never visited from Germany. They were like, AI, that piece of content you shared changed my life. Oh, wow, you inspired me. And I was, wow, that is so interesting, right? Because I never received that level of engagement whilst doing my traditional academic publication. I feel like my publications are just collecting dust. <laughs> but, but anyway, so that's how like about last year, I really started to ask myself a very important and audacious question. What if I build my own school? So inspired by that like self conversation and I kind of just transitioned from being a college professor and this uh, hashtag into a, actually a school. So that's kind of where I'm today. My long answer to your very short question. 
Yeah, that's such a beautiful journey. That's such a beautiful journey. You touched on so many different facets that most people are not willing to speak about, right? Most people are not willing to even acknowledge or challenge the old paradigm of education because education system has been so stagnant for the past few years, not just locally, but globally as well. And uh, you highlighted a very important point. You mentioned about your students came into your class crying, saying, what am I going to do, you know, going into the real world? That's such a valid question. Because what you learn in schools does not always translate 100% or 200% into reality. 100%. I actually, like, you know, I, I mentioned I became a practitioner. I also became a student. Yeah. I started to, to read so many books, you know, talking about parenting, talking about future readiness, and like report 21st century skills. Actually, uh, do you mind if I share my screen? I actually just finished the webinar, so I still have that slice so I can share with you. So this is the model that I have created. I, I classroom without was kind of uh, resonate uh, with your point about, you know, academic learning is far away from being enough to help our children become future ready. And uh, so here is this. Uh, I actually uh, created this, uh, I call this uh, iceberg model. You know, when you think about like when parents come to me, they ask me, hey, Dr. I, I want my children to be happy, to be ready for life and for the future. And in their mind, they're thinking about what degrees do I need, right? Like how many additional degrees do my children need? Like which Ivy League school do they need to go? I mean, like it is important, but that knowledge is only the tip of the iceberg. So mm -hmm. at my school, we also add life skills. And in fact, the research has shown life skills and the emotional intelligence, they are two times more predictive of a person's long-term success than mm -hmm. IQ. That's a very mm -hmm. high percentage, right? I will also talk about mindset, you know, how to like get rid of this fixed mindset, which schools do, hey, you are a troublemaker. Oh, you are just not good at physics. Uh, uh, you are stupid. Like we label our students all the time. We treat them as if everything's set on the stone. Nothing's going to change. But you know what? If you read a little bit in neuroscience, you will discover human beings, we can rewire our brain. So mm -hmm. that is something that we focus, you know, growth mindset, self-awareness, self-regulation, and also how to think like an entrepreneur, even if you don't want to become one. So this is the entire package, you know, talking about helping our the future of education. We have to embrace all of them to help our children mm -hmm. become ready. So that's kind of to answer uh, your question. I love it. And I love that whole um, iceberg that you, you, you shared. But before I ask my question, Annalie, do you, <laughs> I, I know you, you just finished your, your graduate studies and you have been, you know, we have spoken about this, how the education system just not facilitate or prepare us. So I want to hear your thoughts before I transition to my next question. Me too. I will tell me. Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> no, um, I taught in... Well, I both like taught some classes in American politics and I also obviously was a student, but uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. Like that is where you hear so many kids go. Like, it's just like, is this going to be on the exam? Is this like worth noting? Is this like, you know, what I need to know? Bubbling. 
And so it is true that that's just, and I don't necessarily know where it came in, where we had to be so results driven, not just learning for the sake of learning. And that's kind of when I think about my own experience, like in grad school, it stopped. I thought that I was going to like graduate school just to learn and just to have, you know, kind of fun with it. And like, in terms of learning, learning is really fun for me, but it was just a totally different experience. Definitely like okay, how can, you know, where did people go to school? Or like, how many times do people get published? Who do they get published with? And it was just like the actual joy that just came from it really was gone. So it's kind of glad that I saw somebody else kind of leave it because that's why I didn't like go full force and like being in academia because it just wasn't necessarily as fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I was an educator at one point in my life. I was teaching maths and science. This was like 20 years ago. Um, and I, I, I remember I taught primary schools and secondary schools and university maths as well. And I remember my principal saying, your methods are not welcomed here. And I was like, what do you mean my methods are not welcome to here? Because I was listening to my children as to how they assimilated, how they digested, because I taught in such a way it was just not, I stood in front of the blackboard and wrote things. It was, I would take them out of the classroom. I'd go into the fields if we were talking about signs and talking about how glasses are made. I asked them to touch the sand and I'll say, do you know what sand can turn into? So that kind of like clicks into that. And that's creativity. That's imagination. And my principal was like, no, this is this is not the way that you teach your children. And those kind of methods are kind of like taboo, right? That those kind of methods are like ostracized. But it's interesting how nowadays it's so important to really tap into creativity. Like you mentioned, Dr. I, creativity is such a huge factor, even in adults, in the way that we learn. But it starts in the classroom, right? How how students gain that knowledge and how they transfer and yeah and just like oh go ahead go ahead go ahead i have a quick story regarding creativity and i think you know as parents and as educators we really have to think when you look at babies they are so creative they're so imaginative so here's a study it's called paperclip so a group of uh, researchers, they ask like children, you know, how many ways can you think of using a paperclip? And the three years old, the four years old, they face and that, you know, hundreds of ideas. And they scored at genius, genius level, 98%. So five years later, they tested the same group of children. Guess what happened? And so they, from genius level, 98% to 50%. So their creativity, by the time they become teenagers, actually decreased. And so another five years later, and they tested, again, the same group of children. By the time they become young professionals, continue to decrease. And by the time they become adults like us, 2%. So what happened from 98 percent to 2%? You really have to question what did we do to our children's imagination and creativity? And uh, it is very, like, you really have to rethink about the ways that we're teaching. So if educators, we can show up, and parents, if we can show up as as facilitators, as opposed to dictators, I think we can really protect and preserve uh, our children's uh, creativity, imagination, and curiosity. Right. 
And I love that you said, you know, the research that you just shared, you know, how like babies, their creativity is increased. And then when you become teenagers and adults, it decreases. Right. I think <laughs> that's that just shows that's just such a testimonial that shows that, you know, in order to stand up, because we have been constantly bombarded with messages and just whatever messages even on, on media or in different schools to be to stand out you need to be the best of the best to stand out you need to be the cream of the crop or or you know whatever lingo buzzwords that they use but what is best of the best right best of the best is going back to your point creativity and everyone learns differently everyone has got different sets of skills and Education is the starting point, right? Education is the starting point where everyone spends, spends a lot of time in the classroom, like interacting with the educators, interacting with other students, so-called classmates or friends. And then you have the old way of saying, you're stupid, you're not intelligent. That's the wrong answer. But creativity comes into a place where it shifts that mindset as to it's not a wrong answer, that's a possible answer and it opens up the door to there are multiple solutions that isn't just one solution totally totally 100 right like in that regard we should really get rid of multiple choices because they don't really serve like they don't really introduce multiple perspectives on life i mean the same question if you ask people from different countries they may interpret the question very differently and therefore give you complete different answer totally yeah i agree yeah so this brings me to a, another question. So classroom without walls is bringing solutions to schools who, are, you know, schools or people or countries, because this is like open to so many different countries, right? And this is like challenging the normal ways or how the learning paradigm is. So I want to like learn, understand from you, how is this challenging the set ways of paradigm of education system with what you offer, what your platform offers? Uh, yeah, so in quite a few different ways. And one way is like, when you look at a traditional class, they have like five years old in the same class, kind of like the industrial line, right? Like the same category, hey, you are all crackers, this category, bananas, that category. So how we categorize students is based on age. Five years old, you are supposed to be like this. Six year old, supposed to be like this. But again, you know, so much research has shown that we need a mixed age model to thrive. Like, I don't know if you notice this, and uh, many children, uh, undergraduate, high school students, that's the age panel I work with. And when they, when you put them in a mixed age environment, when you ask them to have a conversation with like older people, mm -hmm. they struggle. They really struggle. They don't know how to communicate or having a conversation with younger people. I, I can tell. I have interacted with the students. When they talk to me, their whole body is so tight. I'm like, relax. They haven't practiced like in this mixed age environment. So that's one way we disrupt. So I classified that was we have mixed age, 12 years old above. And uh, so last year uh, at my event, and this is before the coronavirus, we were actually in person and we have younger children, we have older children. It is amazing to see the interaction between the old and the young. The, the younger one, they look up to the older kids and then which makes the older kids feel like, ah, I'm so proud of myself, right? And then at the same time, in reverse manner, you see that the younger children start to embody some of the manner, 
manners of the older kids. I that reverse like mentorship. I love that. So we do that mixed age. So that is one way. And another way is like traditional school, right? You think learning only happens when I go to school, right? But a classroom without walls, we believe. The best education actually happens outside the classroom when you are outside of the school, and um, and uh, I. So here's another quick learning model, and which uh, really helped me develop this framework is called seventy twenty and ten. So what that model talks about is for any transformation to happen from point A to point B, and ten percent comes from formal learning, like sitting in the classroom. And twenty percent is social learning, peer-to-peer -peer interaction, group coaching, and seventy percent, seven zero, seventy percent is experiential learning, learning through application. And to me, that seventy percent is learning outside the classroom. So that's why we have all those immersions, and uh, like to really uh, even for the online learning component, a uh, traditionally a school. You know, once the class is over, the teacher and the student, bye, bye, I go home, <laughs> teacher go home. But for us, we actually have an online learning space where we have a Facebook group or maybe we have a Slack community where learning, like communication is happening all the time. I don't have to wait until next week when I see my teacher again to ask this question. No, I may already forget about that question. Right. So when students are outside the classroom, maybe they're at home, they're practicing this. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what we discussed. I, I got stuck. They can immediately go to our online learning platform and ask a question, very immediate. And then they can download the app on their phone. And you, we actually nurture and create a learning community. And it's also for, you, for teachers to understand how to use technology. Like so many teachers are <laughs> oh, a technology challenge, right? They, they refuse to learn. But like you cannot, if you want to make online learning work, if you are only asking your students to watch a few uh, pre-recorded videos, some teachers don't even do videos. You are doing a disservice to your students. And you have to, and the school need to invest in the teachers and to teach them how to use social media, how to use technology, so they can leverage those tools to make learning more effective. So I think that's another way we really disrupt the traditional space. We make learning happen 24 seven. It doesn't only happen at 5 p.m. on Monday. We, like, we have conversation going on all the time. And in that collaborative space, I'm not always speaking. We are learning from each other and also, a big component at my school is we bring in professionals. We bring in the, 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 not just academics, but the professionals who are actually on a daily basis practicing, validating, iterating, reiterating, and adjusting what they have learned from a book, from a webinar. We need more of those people to be in the classroom to co-teach, co-nurture, to co-create a more powerful generation. So those are just some examples that we cannot disrupt the old model. Uh, that's powerful. That's truly powerful. It's like you, you know, Superman flies, and then you see all that. <laughs> uh, you know, the power. That's how I envision this to be. I have so many questions <laughs> as you were speaking. Right? You mentioned you mentioned multiple points. You mentioned about mixed age, and 
I was able to when when I first moved to the United States. That was the first time I was able to to experience mixed age environment, right? Because I was I went schooling in the British system, so it was like I was always with the same age cohort. There was no challenging it. When you challenged, you looked at this. You looked at oh, you're a weirdo, but. It's so true. You brought up a really great point where when you are with mixed age group, it pushes you to learn. It pushes you to bridge that gap of gen generational gap. Then it becomes a generational coalition, right? And I know Annalie and I actually university <laughs> mates. <clears throat> we went to university uh, 2011, and that's how I met her. And interestingly, she's a millennial, and I'm a zennial. So it's like the age difference, right? It also pushed me to interact with millennials. It, inter it pushed me to interact with my own age group, the Zennials, and then the X generation, and then the baby boomers. That was such an amalgam. But it was interesting to see other people's perspective and learn their perspective as well, which highlights a very, very huge factor, right? It promotes diversity from a very nuanced level that people are struggling to achieve in the workplace, people are struggling to achieve in nations and communities. Uh, I know, Anneli, you have been <laughs> in, in school environments. I want to hear your thoughts as well. I just remember going back to when I was younger, um, when I was like in kindergarten and things, like the teacher, we had like the reading buddies. So instead of like a teacher reading to us, they would bring like fourth graders in and mm. have them read to us instead. And I remember that being like, the coolest thing in the world because it was finally someone that wasn't so much older than me. It was like, okay, you know, they didn't, I don't like, I don't know if there's like maybe feelings of anxiety, like when I was like mm -hmm. reading to other peers and it was like, okay, so I didn't have to be the one to always do it. And it didn't have to be the teacher who was kind of boring doing it. So it was finally somebody that I could like relate to and see myself being in a few years. Cause you can't really see when you're a kid, like you can't envision yourself as like, you know, 35, 45, you know, 50 years old. So it was like to see somebody reading who was like, okay, that's going to be me in a few years. That was, you know, really great. And I think it's just, I've always benefited from having friends that are different ages than me. They have different experiences, you know, different backgrounds. So it's just interesting to see how like we come from so many different places and how we literally end up in the exact same place. So I think, I think in just like, you know, regular life, we haven't been taught in like, you know, the structures of traditional education. It's like, you're always by people and there's like, you know, a set power dynamic, there's a set hierarchy. And I think it does, you know, dull education sometimes in a way. Um, like, I mean, that's why kids are like happy when they see, you know, professors who are, you know, kind of cool and hip and know what they're talking about, know the lingo because like we can all relate to it. Mm -hmm. uh, totally, I mean like recently, you know, going back to social media, I still remember when I was on Snapchat or like even like while still teaching the inside the, the four walls, and students loved following me on social media and they, they loved learning from me that way. Snapchat said, hey guys, remember this is happening. This is what we discussed in classroom. I will share an example. This is actually how you apply this interpersonal communication theory to manage like conflict. And they loved that because I think for, for teachers, we need to connect with our students where they are, not where we think 
they need to be, right? That's not what it says. So I have another, uh, like for uh, in terms of intergenerational learning, uh, there's actually another study. I think it's a TED Talk. I don't know if you know. And so they, uh, what they did is that they mingled like uh, children, like five or preschool at five, six years old with older people, like uh, nursing homes. And they like they interact with each other like over a period of time. So it's a longitudinal study. Mm-hmm. And after I don't know how long, but after extended period of time, and they discover something really shocking. So the overall well-being of the seniors has increased substantially. And the vocabulary and the reading comprehension of the younger children, the preschoolers, also improved substantially. And it's very interesting to see that that type of intergenerational learning, you know, how you can add another dimension to challenge your own assumptions. And it's really beneficial for young children. They are actually learning more sophisticated, like vocabulary, not just the language they speak with their peers, which is important, but you also need to kind of do this type of vertical, not only like horizontal learning, Mm -hmm. that limit uh, your vision, like if you only do that for a period of time. Yeah, no, I just remember, I really like the point that you said we need to meet them where they are because I remember being in my own classroom and obviously you can't get away from what social media is. So when I would get the kids to like learn about like different, whatever we were reading in class, I'd be like, okay, write it in like a form that you're familiar with. And that like actually gets you excited. So we had to read like the Declaration of Independence and we had to analyze it. So I was like, okay, so if you were like today, like trying to like, you know, make a rap about like the similar themes in the Declaration of Independence. And so like the kids did that and they really enjoyed it. And then I actually had like some of my peers and like my principal came up to me and was like, I feel like, and a couple other people feel like you're just trying to kind of be too cool with the kids and, you know, and that's, you know, you have to like think like, is, are they actually learning or are they, you know, are you just trying to be their friend? And do they know the difference between like what you're doing? And I was like, well, I think you're then like missing one, the whole point of the project. And I think you're underestimating like what the students can do. Um, like, you, how are they going to learn if, you know, if I just say like, okay, let's just talk about like, you know, the themes and this, no, they need something that's engaging. So hundred oh, percent. I love this example. I mean, like learning has to be personal. And yeah. that personal is like my personal reason, not your personal reason. Yes. Yes, I think that is a transferable. I'm, I'm with you. You know, like you have to meet where they are at, and learning is not something that comes from my lens of I expect you to do this because we're never exposed to what they are undergoing. Their lens, right? We have to start looking at people from an extended lens. Um, and I, I absolutely loved the point that you said, Dr. I co-create. Co-creation helps us to build like oh my god it, it, it like unleashes our unlimited potential right the solutions that we are able to build and i also love the point that you mentioned about as teachers we should be able to learn continuously learn and some teachers do not <laughs> have the no no or you know or how to use technology that brings me to this question during this pandemic right we are a lot of schools are shut down well every school is shut down and they're forced to to homeschool now, a lot of universities do have online learning, but when you look at like primary schools, secondary schools, um, elementary schools, I always have got to remember elementary schools in the US, elementary schools, middle school and high schools. 
they do not have that much of resources. And I've been speaking with a lot of parents where they are now pushed to take on the hats of being an educator and homeschooling them. Now, how can Classroom Without Walls facilitate that? How can technology facilitate the now of education bringing everything online and going back to your point as as educators we have to learn technology and learn how to integrate that i want to hear your thoughts on this oh yeah i mean like these are, they could definitely join my school just kidding <laughs> so what they could do is so one thing i think uh parents may not want to hear this and uh but they have to hear this like parenting is a tough job and when you think about it most parents learn how to be a parent from whom? From their own parents, right? And we yeah. all know how damaging the old approach is. Like for me to do, like to homeschool my own children, and I have to do so much learning and relearning. And I think parents need to be okay with that to actually invest in their own education. They, they may not have to learn everything about physics and math to teach their children, but I think they do need to understand what is going on, you know, like, for example, mm -hmm. learning about technology, learning about social media, at least you can have an intellectual conversation with your own children, talking about social media, right? Imagine you have never even used this, you come from that dinosaur age, and your children are online every day, you're like, how can you even come to their level to have an intellectual conversation? You can't. So parents need to, you know, as we upskill the teachers engage in lifelong learning. Parents, they also, they can read the books or parenting books or listen to podcasts or join programs. They also need to invest in that education to know, understand technology, know how to apply, to also understand some of the emerging trends. Like, for example, like uh, Elon Musk recently tweeted, like someone asked him like, if I want to work at Tesla, what do I need to do? Do I need to go back to school to get a PhD? He said that, oh, definitely, no PhD. I don't even care if you graduate from high school or not, right? So that's an example. I mean, like, of course, most children are going to have a high school degree, but you can see the trend. You need to, if you want to help your children become future ready, you at least need to at least know what is coming, right? So that's one part on the parents, like additional work for parents, homework for parents. Mm -hmm. You know, don't watch all those Netflix movies, but actually <laughs> spend some time to invest in understanding the emerging trends. What have the old ways need to be disrupted? And also, there are in terms of online learning and there are so 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 many alternative online learning platforms and uh, a few days ago a few weeks ago i did a blog article talking about online learning and i listed at least 20 and uh, online learning platforms and half of them are free like i don't teach i don't know everything how can i teach my children everything so i use i leverage social media to bring those people who know those subject matters to teach my children, right? And you can do this. Uh, some of the online uh, platforms like Khan Academy, they're free. Some of mm -hmm. them you do have to pay a little bit, you know, out school, I know them, like, uh, but their classes are pretty cheap. And there are some more expensive ones and less expensive ones and free ones. So become educated and select one that works for your children and supplement. If you are like, for me, I can teach my children social media, digital literacy. So I don't have to go online to purchase a class in that area. I can do that. But other things in math, I'm not, I'm not so good at it. I don't know much about it, so I supplement. But I think parents 
they need to understand they don't have to feel pressured to know everything that is impossible so once mm -hmm. you know that that can like alleviate some of the pressure that i have to know everything but instead you know just like use purchase or use free resources to help your children and or even like that like i'm a, such an advocate of using social media and technology and a quick way like i teach my own children is uh, my son eight years old he's really into drawing but you can use drawing as a hashtag go to linkedin go to twitter go to instagram go to whatever social media platform that you like and do a hashtag search you know drawing artists and identify those people follow them like become a professional stalker consume their content learn from them right so i interviewed seth golden he said that we don't need the mentors but you can he said mentors are not scalable but what you can do identify our heroes who are the heroes in your field of interest identify those heroes and learn from them what did they do to get to where they are maybe you can try that right and make modifications of course but if you are willing to learn, there are so many people use social media to identify those people and follow them. And hey, maybe your children can start a podcast if they want to learn how to draw. Hey, you know, um, using StreamYard, you can do screen share. They can start a podcast. They can learn. They can interview artists in the field. They are practicing digital literacy. They are practicing interpersonal skills. They are practicing video production. And they are also learning how to do drawing. And they are also building a a digital footprint right why not so there are so many ways you just like be creative and uh, you can there are so many ways you can use social media but those are just some like really simple examples can get the parents started get their children so they don't they don't stay at home and feeling bored every day so at my home they follow learn reflect and teach so learn whatever they learn watch a video read a book you know that's the learning part reflection I have three reflection questions that I ask my children. So after the reflection, and then you teach me. Uh, we bring teaching to the public space. They can use some Adobe products, tools, and they can do a blog article, LinkedIn, like uh, an Instagram, or just like a five minutes audio recording for me. This is what I learned. And trust me, uh, once, when children know how to teach you, that is a good sign that they know this knowledge themselves. So go through that, learn. To, uh, reflect and teach you don't have to teach them everything ask good questions reflection questions hey you teach me this can you figure this out and like that can reduce lots of pressure from the parents mm -hmm. I, I absolutely love it the in-depth of of your mind it just explained it I, I love that you also highlighted that, you know, it's like starting a podcast and you highlighted how many different skills that it catalyzes, right? When you start a podcast, when you interview, you gain, you're so right. I echo your points. You gain interviewing skills. You gain so many different skills. I didn't go to school for broadcasting. <laughs> Not at all. I went to school for human conditioning and chemical engineering. And then like, I didn't learn about podcasting. I didn't learn about interviewing skills. I didn't learn about research everything was inherited from action that's so true you know when you start doing different things that is creativity you know and you gain all these skills that you never ever imagined that you would have gained mm -hmm. and so many people go pay courses how can i do this youtube is, is a way to learn all of that oh, totally totally i mean even uh, the other day you know talking going back to learning has to be personal so we have all those like right now everyone's getting rid of their stuff you know spring cleansing 
Now, my children, they have all those like clothes they no longer wear, too small for them. My husband and I have been nagging for them for so long to, to get rid of them or organize them or donate. So I kind of figure out a way to gamify this a little bit, to make it more personal to my kid. So my, my eight years old actually started selling some of those like old clothes on eBay. He got his first t-shirt sold on eBay and he, he made $9. And the amount of joy and pride on his face, I, I think, you know, you know, I'm actually, I have never sold anything on eBay, but I asked some questions. He figured it out, you know, I, in my mind, I'm teaching him how to fish, not necessarily giving him a fish, but teach him how to fish. And I think that's, my parents need, need, need to understand that, you know. So my parents feel like oh, I have to know everything in order to teach my children. That's the old model, you know, the stage on the stage model. You know everything. The new way is that let's figure this out together. Collaborative, right? Co-creative and collaborative. And so he loves that. He's organizing calls. He's doing research on eBay, how to sell this. And he's also learning graphic design skills, how to talk to customers. We also talk about, you know, how to add value to what you are selling. Everyone is selling a t-shirt at $9. How can yours rise above the digital noise? And he's like, oh, I can do some like coloring picture for them. I can add a thank you card. We had an amazing discussion, right? So think kind of like that way, design some interesting project based on your children's interests. And then as they are working on a project, they can integrate so many, so many skills, far transcending, what they can learn from a workbook. I love that. I absolutely love it. My, I have two more questions, and I know that we are running out of time. My question, my first question is, your solution, Classroom Without Walls, is bridging the gap, bridging the gap of education, highlighting the importance of diversity, highlighting the importance of redefining what education is and what education should become, must become, in order to prepare our future and our current to become successful, redefining success. How is 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 this available? How how can this platform be resource be a resource to people in countries where they don't have internet, where education is not accessible? How can they achieve equity in education with classroom? Yeah, I mean, this is a great question. It's something that I've been thinking a lot about and people are commenting on my own LinkedIn like uh, post. Uh, I think, you know, like uh, copying from some of the ways that China, different countries, like developing countries are using, like they use a tiered system, right? So in, in every country, there will be a, a population who have access to internet, to social media, to digital resources. Why not let them become the teacher, right? And so they maybe they learn something and can they disseminate the information to others who don't have access? Of course, the government has to support that, maybe invest in certain teachers, and then they can use the old way, you know, hey, lesson one on a piece of paper, and they can, I heard from some other schools, and they can send everything to a kid through a text message, right, on the condition they have a smartphone. Text message, lesson one, there's actually an alternative learning platform. Their entire school is like to send you a text message a day to learn. So in those countries, they can do that. And for families who don't even have a smartphone, you can just like mail everything to them, hard copy, right? So to implement kind of a more like tiered system, like instead of, hey, because some people don't have the internet, 
we cancel everything. I don't like that approach. I think that is hurting the people who do have, why punish them? Why not leverage their resources to help and amplify what they know and to start a movement from the, you know, the top to tier to the, to the bottom to people who don't have it. And they're also okay. teaching. So that's kind of uh, my solution to this question. I love it. Annalie, do you have anything to add? Um, I did, but then I forgot as I was listening. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Well, <laughs> I love that education is is you know like liberating many of us, and education in the form of social media. You know, social media pushes us to redefine or rethink. Like you mentioned, Tal, your son is learning how to sell, like that entrepreneurship aspect of it. Uh, my next question is, education is directly correlated to career success, right? In schools, we have always been, like, years ago, uh, the baby boomers, and it's always, like, reiterated, uh, you know, go to school, get an education, and then you'll be successful. Elon Musk, you know, challenges that paradigm. And I know that you are taking an absolutely innovative approach to challenging that education paradigm to redefining what success is. So how can education contribute to redefining what success really is? And not, you know, employees looking for, or you've got a master's degree, you are now worthy to be a CEO. If you've got a bachelor's degree, you're not worthy. So how can we go back to the basics? How can education redefine what success is? Oh, I love this question. I think first, like we need to understand education is an inside-out journey. And so many parents and so many schools will pursue education as an outside-in journey, right? When children become older, like we give, hey, this is the curriculum, do this. And we don't even like ask, you know, I call, like I learned this term, the pedagogy of listen. We don't really listen. We don't really help our children to go within. What do I want to learn? What is something that I am really passionate? What is my calling in life? We don't ask those questions at all. I will not facilitate those questions at all. So by the time they come to college, what is success? Success is uh, graduate from at least my BA or BS, and then maybe even get a go to graduate school and get a MA, get a PhD, find a job, have a car, have a wife, or have a husband, and uh, have children, buy a big house. Right, so everything like this entire journey is following a program, and this is a program. And in this program, the self plays so little say in terms of how this program is going to unfold. So if we want to disrupt that program, we have we have to start from very young age, understanding that everything in life is an inside-out journey, including education. What we need to do is like spending less time to try to buy all those fancy toys, technology, but spending more time to have a conversation with our children to practice the pedagogy of listening, to really understand our own children and design a curriculum, design a way of learning that is based on my kid, based on our children's interests. And once we have that, by the time they grow older, they will know exactly what they want. So when they achieve success, it's not just academic success or career success, but also relationship success, financial independence, spiritual freedom, right? Like having life fulfillment and career success. Like my 
the whole thing, like, you know, I come out, got started on this journey, was I really hit a mid-age crisis. I was like, wow, nothing's working. What am I doing in my life? Is this my dream or my parents' dream? And I think for our children, we don't have to wait for mid-age until they hit that crisis to start asking themselves those questions, but starting at a very young age and look at success, you know, as an inside out journey and also from multiple angles, spiritual relationship, emotional. And uh, so uh, last year, LinkedIn published a global uh, talent report. Uh, in that report, they listed four major trends that are uh, shaping today's or tomorrow's workplace. And the number one is soft skills. And uh, kind of going back to what we mentioned earlier, you know, most people think about career success as like salary, six, seven figure, eight figure. And, but I have met enough six, seven, eight, nine figures, people who are not happy, right? But I'm not saying that if you are happy and you, you will be happy without having financial freedom. The things that you, we need all of them is a, a multi-layer uh, notion of success, not just like the tip level, you know, the, the academic level, but really understand life skills, you know, collaboration, creativity, and relationship, spirituality, like all of them, you know, going back to the iceberg model. That's kind of how I redefine success, like to look at success in a more holistic manner. I love that. I absolutely love that success is a holistic manner, and that is so true, right? Um, because even in the workplace, you know, how people show up at the workplace, how they interact with others, the kind of leadership that they embody, it's all learned from the education system, right? And and one of the biggest, biggest factors that a lot of organizations are craving for right now is soft skills. How mm -hmm. do I empower someone? How do I really value people? And it needs to come from a very deeper level, compassion, empathy, kindness, truly accepting someone from the level of how they are, how they show up, right? Mm -hmm. And that's such an important thing. And that's what hardship is all about, you know, the now of leadership. How do we embrace and how do you embrace leadership? How do you challenge leadership in the education system, in the workplace, in our communities, in, even in political systems, religious system? It's all interrelated. If one system adopts something, it just gets transferred because the people in education system who have learned that transfers it to the workplace, transfers it to the religious congregation, transfers it to the political system that they are volunteering in. So it's been such a pleasure hearing your insightful innovative solutions about education and how online education is changing how the, the absolute like laggard ways of paradigm of learning and how it is actually opening up lenses as to how entrepreneurship you know soft skills can be adopted so thank you dr i for being on hardship the now on leadership and as it's been such a pleasure exploring your mindset and your heart set Oh, thank you so much for having me. Honored. Mm -hmm. All thank right. you. Thank you.